Um, Go with me, if you will, to Mark chapter 8. Mark chapter 8, I want to look at uh, verses 14 through 21 um, in the gospel according to Luke. Um, Now, there are four accounts of the life of Jesus, like from his birth to his death, burial, and resurrection. Um, And those are called the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Um, Today, we're going to be in uh, the gospel of Mark. Um, And I believe that this message is good news uh, for you, for me, uh, for all of us uh, today. Look at what it says. It says, the disciples had forgotten to bring bread except for one loaf they had with them in the boat. Be careful, Jesus warned them. Watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees and of that of Herod. And they discussed this with one another and said, it's because we have no bread. Aware of their discussion, Jesus asked them, why are you talking about having no bread? Like how many of you know that when Jesus asks a question, it's never for his benefit, it's always for yours? He says, why, why are you talking about having no bread? Do you still not see or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Do you have eyes but fail to see and ears but fail to hear? And don't you remember when I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many basketfuls of pieces did you pick up? 12, they replied. And when I broke the seven loaves for the 4,000, how many basketfuls of pieces did you pick up? They answered, seven. He said to them, do you still not understand? And I wanna preach uh, today uh, using this title, don't forget to remember. Don't forget to remember. You know, 2020 is nearly over. Like we are in month 11 now. Um, and, and, it's, and I don't know if it's just me or if it's everybody, but this felt like this year's been a half a century long. Like, like 50 years worth. And I don't think it's an exaggeration or, or hyperbole to say that in 10 months, this has been a year that has changed the world. Like, I mean, come on, every year has its challenges. Every year has its, its problems. Every year there, there, there's change. But not every year is there a shift in the atmosphere and in a paradigm shift of, of how people act and think and behave. Like this year where there are more questions than there are answers. There's more complexity than, than there is clarity. And all of us have been learning the art of adaptability. Like we've all had to be able to adapt. And if you're like me this year, like not too long ago, I was having a prayer time with God, a pretty intense prayer time, um, also known as complaining. And I said, like, hold on, like, God, this is, this is crazy. Like, I didn't envision this year, and I felt God whisper something to me. And he said, wait, Josh, don't forget to remember that, that you asked for this. I said, no, I didn't. Like, I did not ask for any of this. And he said, oh, yes, you did. He said, don't forget to remember, like, you, you said back in January, like, God, I want you to change my life this year. God, I want want you to go deeper with you than I ever have before. Lord, I want more of you. And I was like, God, I didn't say anything like that. And then there was just a flashback in my brain to the sermon that I preached the very first Sunday of 2020, which was the change that God wants to make in us. But isn't it interesting? The disconnect between what we want God to do in our lives and what it's gonna take for that to happen Isn't it funny how we wanna be changed, but we don't wanna be challenged? And we say, God, I wanna go deeper, but I don't wanna be disrupted. But, But I'm telling you that God will disrupt you. He will do whatever it takes to make you become who he's created you to be. Like I'm telling you that you serve a God that will disrupt you. He will disturb you, and he knows how to do it. Like he always did. That's what Jesus did on earth. I think he woke up every morning just thinking, man, who can I disrupt today? 
Like, who can I disturb today? Like, he was always disturbing, disturbing the comfortable and comforting the disturbed. Like, that's what Jesus did. And that's what's happening in the text today. Jesus is on a boat with the disciples. He's just fed 4,000 people. He's on the boat, and the disciples are on the boat saying, hey, Lord, we forgot to bring bread. And Jesus looks at him and goes, hey, be careful. They're like, what? It's like, be careful of the yeast of the Pharisees and that of Herod. And the disciples are going, hey, Jesus, like all that's on the boat is you and us and this loaf of bread. Like there's no Herod, there's no Pharisees on the boat. Like, but be careful. And that is just, that is how Jesus operated. All throughout the gospels, if you read his life, that's, that's the way he operated. Like he always brought about confusion to those people. Like people are like, man, it would be cool to, to hang out with Jesus. And like, no, it probably wouldn't. You'd be confused all the time, just like the disciples were. Like, because Jesus was fully God and fully man. Like, he wasn't just a good man. He was fully God and fully man. And if you're having a conversation with people, like, sometimes those conversations are gonna be hard to understand. And I'll give you an example. Jesus was at a wedding um, in, in Cana of Galilee. And his mom comes running up to him and says, hey, Jesus, they're out of wine. And what's he say? Woman, it's not my time. What in the world does that have to do with wine? Like she's talking about wine, but Jesus being God understood that wine is a metaphor for the blood that's gonna cover our sins. Like that's what he's thinking. And he wasn't, a, and he, we went ahead and turned the water into wine, but he said, hey, it's not my time. It's not my time to go to the cross yet. And it's hard to have those conversations. So we go back to the boat, we're talking about a loaf of bread. He's like, hey, I'm not really talking about the bread. Like, you've got a loaf of bread, but you're looking at the bread of life. And he said, be careful of the yeast of the, Pharise- uh, yeast of the Pharisees and that of Herod. Now, what's yeast? Yeast is a, a fungi, and if you put it in the dough, just a little bit of the yeast will, will contaminate the whole loaf of bread. Just a little bit of it is all it takes. And so the yeast is a metaphor for unbelief. It's a metaphor for pride. It's a metaphor for sin. And he says, Hey, be careful of the yeast of the Pharisees, of religion. Do you know that, that religion can, can pollute a good relationship with Jesus? To be careful of the, the yeast of the Pharisees. And then he said this, and of Herod, which is politics. I think we got a big day coming up Tuesday, right? Um, election day. And here's my political advice to you, vote. And people are all the time, hey, Josh, why don't you talk about politics? Why don't, why don't you, you talk about what's going on in the country politically? Why don't, why don't you do all those things? And, and here's why. Because sometimes it only takes a little bit of that yeast to pollute and destroy all of what we have in Christianity, to ruin our influence uh, about sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ with people. I think we have an unbelievable privilege in the country that we live in to vote, and I think everybody should vote. But be careful of the yeast of politics that can pollute the whole thing. And here's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, listen, I'm the only one that can transform your soul. I'm the only one that can change your life. So don't start mixing that stuff into the purity of the bread. It's crazy to me how the Bible is for us today. And they still got confused. They're like, hey, wait a minute. We should have brought more bread. Like, that's what he's talking about. He's talking, we need more bread. And Jesus is like, no, I'm not talking about that bread. Why don't you understand? He's like, hey, but since you wanna talk about that, that loaf of bread, let's go deeper and talk about that loaf of bread. 
You're worried about one piece of bread when there's only 12 of us on the boat? Don't you remember when we fed 5,000? How many loaves did you have left over? We had 12 basketfuls. Or what about when we fed 4,000? How, lo- how many baskets did you have left? Seven. Like, I think we're good. You got one loaf and there's only 13 of us. Like, we're, we're all right. Like, the disciples completely forgotten. And I wanna pause right here because, like, I was raised in the church. Like, I was, every Sunday I was in church. And, and I just wanna file a complaint with my Sunday school committee that was there. Nobody ever told me that the feeding of the multitudes happened twice. Like, I grew up in church, and I don't ever remember hearing that. I was in a lot of Sunday school classes, and nobody told me, hey, the feeding of the the multitudes happened twice. Like, once with 5,000 and once with 4,000. Like, I wish they would have told me. I could have got a lot more goldfish out of the deal. But he first fed the 5,000, and just a couple months later, he feeds 4,000. And that should speak to us today, because it lets us know that if God did that miraculous work once, and he turned around and he did it again later. That's good news for us today, that if God did something miraculous once for you, he can do it again. That if God healed you once, he can heal you again. If God opened a door once, he can open that door again. Don't let this pandemic make you nervous and question the power of God. Because if he did it once, he can do it again. Like some of you, you need to rehearse the history of all the things that God has brought you from and all the things that he's done in your life. And it's that history, it's your history with God that should give you strength and faith for what you're facing right now. Because if he did it once, listen, he can do it again. Miracle of the multitudes. I mean, I think it has to be looked at not only because he did it twice, but because the feeding of the 5,000 is the only miracle besides the resurrection that's in every single gospel. In Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. All of them talk about the feeding of the multitudes. And it's the only miracle, again, that's mentioned in all four of the Gospels. And what it teaches me is this that Jesus is not only concerned with my soul, he's also concerned with my need. And what a wonderful thing to know that Jesus just isn't concerned with the condition of my soul, but he's also concerned about my circumstances. What you're facing, what you're going through, Like, you need to know that Jesus is concerned about it. Can I tell you something? That if it matters to you, it matters to God. And I'll even go a bit further than that. If it matters to you, it probably matters more to God because he's concerned with with your soul, but also with your circumstances. He's concerned about the bills that you're trying to figure out how to pay. He's concerned about the anxiety and the depression. He's concerned about your soul, and he cares about your need. Look at Jesus, who has the power to captivate thousands of people, Thousands of people forget to eat. That's good preaching. Like after 33 minutes, I got people leaving because they're hungry. Like these people forgot to eat. And not only is it, listen, a message that God cares, listen, I think it's a mandate to the church that we care as well. That we have to care about the needs of the people that are in our congregation, that are in our community, that are in our city. I love how Howard Thurman says this. He said, the power of prayer is directly connected to your willingness to be a part of the answer. In other words, God is just looking for somebody to partner with him to care about the condition of the soul and the condition of people's circumstances. That's what we've gotta be as a church. So the feeding of the 5,000, the feeding of the 4,000, I just wanna look at these two miraculous moments in the life of Jesus 
so we can understand what we need to remember. And the first thing I noticed that happened in both of these miracles is that there was a lot of people, 5,000 and 4,000, but that's not counting women and children. So if you count all of those, there's 15 or 20,000 people, a lot of people and a problem. Because how many of you know that if you've got people, you've got some problems? If you've got people, you've got problems. And don't forget to remember that we are called to people, though. Like our mission statement, why we exist is we exist to lead people. So that means we're called to problems. There was a lot of people and there was a problem. You cannot separate the two. People come with problems. So many people are saying, man, I'm so tired of people right now. I just wanna be by myself. You still have you. Like, come on, like, like that's one of the things that this quarantine, the shelter in place things that showed us. Like, I'm sick of myself. Like, like, I'm telling you, don't forget to remember that we're called to people. And, and that means we're called to problems. Called to people, and, and people come with problems. And both miracles, listen, compassion for people was the catalyst for that. In the feeding of the 5,000, says Jesus was moved with compassion because he saw them as sheep without a shepherd. In the feeding of the 4,000, he says to his disciples, I have compassion on these people. But how many of you know if you have compassion, you must take action? God is calling you to do something. In fact, compassion is where care and action collide. That's when you see compassion in both miracles. Compassion was the catalyst for the miracle. Like we've got to be people that have compassion that have care, but we also have to take action. I also found it intriguing that in both miracles, watch this, the disciples, they were asking the wrong questions. They were were asking the wrong questions. Hear me, worry is often the byproduct of asking the wrong question. Like they looked and they said, hey, how can we get enough money to buy bread for all these people? They looked and said, how can we even find bread in this desolate, desolate place? It's the wrong question. And worry is often the byproduct of, of asking the wrong questions. And some people are like, hey, Josh, like, wh- where do you get that from? Well, Jesus actually said that in Matthew chapter six. He said, so don't worry, saying, and here's the questions, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? He said, for the pagans run after these things. And your heavenly father knows that you need them, but seek first the kingdom and his righteousness, then all of these things will be added to you. I wonder if the reason that we're so worried is because we're asking the wrong questions. What if there's a, another lockdown? What if the kids can't go to, to school and I have to be homeschool teacher again? Oh, somebody just sneezed, what if I have it? Oh, what, what am I gonna do about the bills? What if I lose my 401k? What if I lose my, my pension? What if I lose my job? What if I lose that? It's the wrong question. Those are all the wrong questions. And in both feedings, like, they asked the wrong question, but Jesus gave them a better question. And here's the question that Jesus asked in both miracles. He said this, how many loaves do you have? That's a good question. Like, I'm glad Jesus asked that question. How many loaves do you have? Do you know the power of that question? That means stop worrying and focusing on what you don't have and start focusing on what you have at your disposal. How many loaves do you have? That's the question to be asking yourself. What do you have at your disposal? What has God given you? Because see, when you say how many loaves do you have, that doesn't lead to worry, that leads to work. 
That makes me go, hey, where am I gonna find what God has put on the inside of me? If I gotta steal a little boy's lunch, I'm gonna do it. But he wouldn't be asking for loaves if there wasn't loaves somewhere. How many loaves do you have? And that means you have to do an inventory as to what God has given you. Don't let the enemy force you to focus on what you've lost. Look at how many loaves that you have. You might have lost your job, but you still have your mind, you still have your body, you still have your creativity. You're still here. How many loaves do you have? By the way, if you read those stories, Jesus never asked for fish. Read them, read them when you get home. He never asked for fish. Both miracles, he, he never asked for fish. He only asked for loaves. But it was in the process of looking for the loaves that they had found out they had some fish too. It was in the process of taking inventory on what God had given them that they found that they had something extra. And I'm telling you, if you stop complaining about what you don't have and you start giving God what you do have, you're, you're gonna be finding that you have some fish as well, that you have something extra. Both miracles. And in both miracles, listen, both in, in their hands, they didn't have enough. It was too little in their hands, both of the miracles. And isn't that how we all feel sometimes? You ever looked at the demand in front of you and looked at what's in your hand and just said, hey, I don't have enough. It's not enough. I'm not enough to be the husband that, that I'm supposed to be or I'm not enough to be the mom that I'm supposed to be. I'm not enough to be the leader or, or the business person that I'm supposed to be. And I found that even very successful people have that gnawing in their soul of it's not enough. What, what are you doing that's not enough? And let me tell you, it will never be enough. It'll never be enough as long as it's in your hands. But God is calling you to take what's not enough and put it in his hands. And once you get it out of your hands, then something miraculous can happen. But as long as it's in your hands, listen, it will never be enough. It'll never be enough in your hands because in your hands, you're trying to control it. And if 2020 has taught us anything, it ought to have taught us that we have no control. Like you've gotta get it out of your hands and put it in his hands. And it says, and he took it, and he blessed it, and he broke it, and he gave it right back to them. Interesting that the miracle of multiplication didn't happen in Jesus' hands. It couldn't have. Because that didn't take faith and there's not enough baskets to hold that much bread. If it started multiplying in his hands, they'd have been like, oh, we're good, we're good. But he blessed it and he broke it and he said, there you go, now pass it out. That means the multiplication and the miracles happened through the interaction. Multiplication happened through the interaction. Like, this is the most inefficient miracle ever. Like, you've got thousands of people and you've got 12 dudes trying to pass off food to all of them. Like, come on, Jesus, you got power. Why didn't you just snap your fingers and they're full? Like, why in the world are 12 dudes passing out bread to possibly 15,000 people? Like, how long has this miracle taken? Like, we, we've asked many times, like, how, like, why does communion take so long? Like, this is 12 dudes passing out to 15,000 people. Like, how long has it taken? Like, I don't even know. But the multiplication happened in the interaction. Can you see them passing and, and, and getting nervous because it's not multiplying yet? Like they're passing and they're trying to keep cool, like, hey, how you doing? You know, take a piece of bread, not, not that big. Like we don't, we don't have that much. Hey, where are you from? Oh yeah, I used to live there too. Oh, there you go, hey, we're, we're almost out. Oh wait, no, there's more. 
And as they're passing, it just keeps multiplying over and over again. And before they know it, they have leftovers. Like, here's my issue with the disciples. Like, Jesus did this miracle twice. The feeding of the 5,000, like, I'll give you a pass. Be, be nervous. Like, there's not gonna be enough. But they finally realized that, that they're good. But just months later, like, it wasn't even that long. Months later, you're in the same scenario and you don't even notice the need. Like Jesus noticed the need. He said, hey, I have compassion on these people and they need to eat too. Like the, the disciples, they should have gone, yeah, uh, hey, we've been here, done that. No problem, just give us what you got. We'll, we'll take care of it. But they forgot. They'd already forgotten what God had just done. How many of you know we're just like them? God comes through for you before in the middle of this pandemic and you're stressing, saying, come on, God, come through. Like, sometimes we forget the goodness and the faithfulness of God. We, we forget to remember. But I think it's actually a little bit deeper than that. Because don't forget the feeding of the 5,000, the real issue wasn't the crowd even. It was the price. So we can't afford it. It's gonna cost a, a half a year's wages to buy enough bread to feed these people. Feeding of the 4,000, if you really look at it, it was the place and the people. Because remember, Jesus said, I have compassion on these people. And the disciples said, where can we find enough bread to feed these people in this place? Which ought to cause us to ask the question, where, where, where was this place? The feeding of the 5,000 happened at Bethsaida by the Sea of Galilee in Jewish territory. The feeding of the 4,000 happened near the region of the Decapolis in the Gentile territory a place where they had hardly gone, where they'd been very few times with people that they didn't even like. And Jesus said, hey, I have compassion on these people too. But the feeding, of the, like it was a field trip to show the disciples that, hey, I am the bread of life and I'm not just for you. I'm not just for the Jewish people. I'm for the entire world. And you're gonna be my witnesses in Jerusalem and, and I know you like that part, but also in Samaria and to the ends of the earth. I gotta get you to see people that you don't normally see. And the feeding of the 4,000, again, was a field trip to help them see people that they don't normally see. You know what you ought to be praying, what we ought to be praying during this season of craziness and chaos is, Lord, help me see people that I don't usually see because they need some bread too. Isn't it amazing that you can see people with an addiction in a certain way until somebody in your family battles with an addiction? And then it changes everything. Isn't it crazy how you can walk to a place and not even be concerned whether they have elevators or how many stairs there are until you have a child with a disability? It's funny how we can look at things in certain situations and not really have compassion or understand because we don't see the need. Thank God for the feeding of the 5,000 and the 4,000. He was trying to do with his disciples, same thing he's trying to do with us. Get us to see the need that's around us. I think God wants to do the same thing in our life that he did with the bread. He wants to take you, bless you, and break you so that ultimately your life can touch somebody else's. And sometimes it's in the breaking that he'll make you see people that you've never seen before. You know, this has been a season of breaking for me personally. I've struggled with depression and anxiety through this whole thing. Like, it's been such a breaking time. Like, it got so bad that I was like, God, looking at what's going on in the world, I'm like, God, I don't even wanna preach anymore. I 
can a preacher say that? Like, I don't know, but it's been a breaking season. Uh, but this past weekend, I got to spend some time alone in a hotel. And I just started thinking back, why did I become a preacher? And I thought about all the times when I was really young and I would set up all my stuffed animals and I would preach sermons to them. And I would tell them about Jesus. And I think about times when I was five, six, seven years old that, that my grandma would, would say, hey, that's my little preacher man. And I got to thinking about all the lives that I've been able to, to touch, about all the influence that, that I've been able to have, and about all the people who I still have an opportunity to influence and change their eternal destination. And that's why I can't quit. Because there are so many people that so desperately are hungry and starving for the bread of life. And listen, if we're not gonna tell them, no one else is. And, and for you, like you may be tempted to quit and you've been praying for something over and over and over again, but listen, God's not done. Like it may not happen in, in your lifetime, but it may happen through your bloodline. There have been, you've been praying for people that you're desiring to come to Christ, desiring to see them uh, have a new life and to be set free from, from the bonds of sin and, and, and an addiction and struggle and all of those things, and you've been begging God for it. Listen, he's not done. He did it before, he can do it again. That's why you can't quit. And you can't give up because there are people and generations coming after you. That's why you can't give up in the breaking. For some of you, you, you are breaking right now, but you can't give up. Don't forget to remember the provision of your God. Don't forget to remember that God wants to take you, bless you, break you, but then multiply you so that you will share who he is, the bread of life to the entire world who is hungry, hungry for him. And I think about this in, in relationship with communion. Like Jesus isn't asking us to do anything that he hasn't done himself. The breaking's bad. The, the breaking was bad for him. As he prayed in the garden the, the night before he was crucified, like he begged God to take it away from him. But he didn't want to be broken that way. But he did. And because of that, we have eternal life now. I love what Paul said. He said, but whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. To what is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For whose sake I've lost all things. I consider them rubbish or garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which through, is through faith in Christ. The righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. And he says this, I wanna know Christ, to know the power of his resurrection. And get this, to participate in his suffering. Becoming like him in his death and so somehow to attain to the resurrection from the dead. Sometimes we're called to suffer. And oftentimes we, we celebrate communion and, and we remember the sacrifice that Jesus made, which, which we need to. Without him, we would be stuck in our sin. Sometimes we take communion and, and we think about um, the, the time when we'll be reunited with him and have that meal with him. And that's good, I'm looking forward to that day. But this week, as you take that loaf and that cup, 
that represents the body and the blood of Christ, I'm just gonna ask you to don't forget to remember that God has called you, some of us to suffer so that he may be known to the world. And if you're breaking right now, if you're suffering right now, may this be a reminder that he's still in control and he can still multiply. Let's pray. Father God, tonight, today, God, we come to you thanking you for who you are. Thanking you for the times that you've come through for us in the past because it gives us confidence, God, that you're gonna come through again. Thanking you for the opportunity to remember the sacrifice that Jesus made through this loaf and this cup that represents his body and blood. Thanking you for the privilege that we have to be an influence in the lives of others when we're willing to put everything in your hands. Father, I do, I pray for those who are hurting today, who are breaking, who are considering giving up. I pray today that you would give them the strength to just hold on. In the name of Jesus who died for us, I pray, amen.